From Chi-Town to the Ville. Nap down to the Natty. Hype is where it's at. For music and news. From hip-hop to Hollywood. Attention listeners. Attention listeners. Log on to thehypemagazine.com. For the hottest hip-hop and urban magazine you've ever seen. It's the 411 on the world of entertainment. New releases. And, and more. more. Just log on to thehypemagazine.com. In stores now at 7-Eleven. Kmart. Target. Barnes & Noble. Marsh. Chicken Save. As well as all mobile devices. Hype. How you perceive everything. Booyah, welcome to the 2015 start of the Live by Terrence show. I am T-Rex. I am blessed and happy to be here hosting for this year's show. We're going to kick it off by making a tribute to someone I looked up to as an anchor on television and also as a mentor, a a man of, of many walks of life. Stuart Scott passed away this morning. Due to cancer, um, I can uh, relate to that. I have family members that 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 succumb to cancer or or, or has cancer. Uh, so definitely, my thoughts and prayers goes out to Stuart Scott's family, his two daughters, and everyone that he touched. Uh, it's, it's definitely a somber day for that because that's one of the reasons why I watch ESPN it was because of the energy that he brought to the show. And I definitely want to want to do a tribute to him to start the show. There's no better way to kick off a show but to honor Stuart Scott. He passed away at the age of 49. And I would like to say Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, today is a sad day in sports and entertainment. But we're going to kick the show off by playing his ESPY speech from last year's award show um, they usually do a uh, annual sports show to award the athletes of the year play of the year team of the year and he did a very touching speech and i was fortunate to watch the speech live but i want to play it for you all just in case you didn't know who he was or you just w- waking up or you just now finding out the news that Stuart scott of ESPN passed away at 49 due to cancer. How do I say goodbye to what we have? The good
21 years ago on March 4th, 1993, at the first annual ESPY Awards, Jim Valvano was awarded the inaugural Arthur Ashe Courage Award. Jimmy V's acceptance speech that night has now become legendary as a singularly moving testament to the strength and beauty of the human spirit. Our world lost that great man only two months later, but make no mistake, Jimmy V continues to inspire countless others even today. Through his generosity of spirit, he made us laugh and cry, and maybe most importantly, think. That very same year in 1993, a talented young journalist named Stuart Scott joined ESPN. Stuart would soon become one of the most recognizable and beloved Sports Center anchors ever, and forever changed the tone and language of sports broadcasting. But he didn't just add phrases like booyah and cooler than the other side of the pillow to the lexicon. He brought his wit, his attitude, and a lust for life all his own. In November 2007, sadly, Stuart was diagnosed with cancer. True to his form, Stuart shared his experiences fighting this disease with us while managing to do extraordinary things in the face of seemingly unsurmountable odds. Stuart's journey has been full of great challenges, but even greater has been the love from his family. And like the great man his award is named for, Stewart has never, ever given up. Are you ready, young man? Yeah. Uh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's Wednesday in Baltimore, Maryland. Doctor visits have become routine for Stuart Scott. But today is different. Today, he finds out if he qualifies for an experimental treatment a trial he's already been rejected from, twice before. But giving up has never been an option for Stewart. Since he was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer in 2007, he has refused to back down. First thought was, I'm gonna die. And about probably five seconds later, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna leave Taylor and sit. I don't want them to be without a dad. Cancer kills you. People die from cancer. Stewart would not allow the disease to dictate how he lived. And for seven years, he's continued to battle. He's a fighter, and when I say he's a fighter, he's mentally, physically, emotionally, he has a lot of things to fight for, and he has a lot of help in that fight. He's an inspiration to me. I have to feel as much as I can like I don't have cancer. 
although I think about cancer 20 times a day. But his true focus remains on the most important thing in his life, his family. One thing that Stuart may never really understand is the impact that he has had on people all around the world. There are a lot of people that see him as a beacon of light and something that they can relate to. I hear you're in the fight, too. Yes. I'm seven years in it. Are you? Yep. Well, you do what you want to do, all right? Yep. Hang in there, brother. Thank you very much. Hang in there. We're thinking about you, right? Are we going to be on television? We might be. You ought to tell me that. What's good? Sports Center Roland Stewart Scott here. We got more of us. I think what he does is all the things that, as his close friend, I want to say, stop doing. Stop working out so hard. Stop traveling so much. Why are you doing so many sports centers? But it's what keeps him going. So Stewart pushes on. That is how he wins. I hear from people every day. He's on TV and he's doing what he loves. They take strength from the fact that he has not been paralyzed by his illness and that he's decided to live life on his own terms. After being rushed to the hospital during the NBA Finals a year ago, Stewart vowed to make it back here. Thank you very much, and congratulations again to the now five-time champion, San Antonio Spurs. So this year, on Father's Day, Game 5 was about more than just a championship. It was about family. Instead of sending you home tomorrow, I get to go home with you tomorrow. Yay, Spurs. When people ask me, are you worried, are you scared? I've never really been really worried because he's always told me, he's always had the most confidence ever, and he's always told me that he's going to get through it and that we're going to get through it together. She knows what I'm going through. And if I can work hard, it's not just being the best, it's working hard. It's her knowing that I'm, that I'm working hard for this. I want her to take that with her. Back at Johns Hopkins, Stewart finally receives word about the clinical trial. Good enough. Everything is a go. Yeah. So there we go, clinical study. Thank you. You're welcome. I don't want you to leave. Will you hold my hand? Fighting is winning. Not quitting. Not saying, oh, I have cancer. Or I can't do anything. I'm just going to lay down and, and cry a pity party for myself. That, to me, is the only way you lose. Oh, won't you stay with me? Because you're... fighting it for seven years, so that sucks. You've had to deal with it for seven years. I've been fighting it for seven years, so that's good. Seven years, you've, you've battled it. And if, if losing the battle is passing away, then I guess I haven't lost the battle. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor to present the 2014 Jimmy V Perseverance Award to Stuart Scott.
Thank you. You know, tomorrow all my boys are going to be like, yo, man, I saw you at the ESPYs with Peyton Manning, Money Mayweather, and KD. I'm going to be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Jack Bauer saved the world, and he introduced me. 24 is my favorite TV show of all time, so Keeper Sutherland, thank you very much. I am very honored. Every day I am reminded that our life's journey is really about the people who touch us. When I first heard that I was going to be honored with this reward, the very first thing that I did was I was speechless, briefly. I've presented this award before. I mean, I've watched in awe as Kay Yao and Eric Legrand and all these other great people grace this stage. And although intellectually, I get it, I'm a public figure, I have a public job, I'm battling cancer, hopefully I'm inspiring. At my gut level, I really didn't think that I belong with those great people. But I listened to what Jim Valvano said 21 years ago. The most poignant seven words ever uttered in any speech anywhere. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Those great people didn't. Coach Valvano didn't. So to be honored with this, I now have a responsibility to also not ever give up. I'm not special. I just listened to what the man said. I listened to all that he said, everything that he asked of us, and that's to build the V Foundation. And let me tell you, man, it works. I'm talking tangible benefits. You saw me in that clinical trial. Now, here's the thing about that. Coach Valvano's words 21 years ago, helping me and thousands of people like me right now, direct benefits. That's why all of this, why we're here tonight, that's why it's so important. I also realized something else recently. You heard me kind of allude to it in the piece. I said, I'm not losing. I'm still here. I'm fighting. I'm not losing. But I got to amend that. When you die, that does not mean that you lose to cancer. You beat cancer by how you live, why you live, and in the manner in which you live. So live, live, fight like hell. And when you get too tired to fight, then lay down and rest and let somebody else fight for you. That's also very, very important. I can't do this don't give up thing all by myself. I got thousands of people on Twitter and on the streets who encourage me. I got these amazingly wonderful people at ESPN. I got corporate executives, my bosses, this is true, who will text message me. And they'll say, hey, I uh, heard you had chemotherapy today. You want me to stop by on the way home from work and pick you up something to eat and bring it to you? Seriously? Who does that? <laughs> Whose boss does that? My bosses do that. But even with all that, the fight is still much more difficult than I even realized. What you didn't see in the piece is what's gone on probably the last 10 days. I just got out of the hospital this past Friday. Seven days stay. Man, I crashed. I had liver complications, I had kidney failure. I had four surgeries in a span of seven days. I had tubes and wires running in and out of every part of my body. And guys, when I say every part of my body, 
every part of my body. As of Sunday, I didn't even know if I'd make it here. I couldn't fight. But doctors and nurses could. The people that I love, my friends and family, they could fight. My girlfriend, who slept in a very uncomfortable hospital cot by my side every night, she could fight. The people that I love did last week what they always do. They visited, they talked to me, they listened to me, they sat silent sometimes, they loved me. And that's another one of the components of the V Foundation. This whole fight, this journey thing is not a solo venture. This is something that requires support. I called my big sister Susan a few days ago. Why? I needed to cry. It was that simple. And I know that I can call her. I can call my other sister Cynthia, my brother Stephen, my mom and dad, and I can just cry. And those things are very important. I have one more necessity. Yeah, it's really two. Two very vibrant, intelligent, beautiful young ladies. The best thing I've ever done, the best thing I will ever do, is be a dad to Taylor and Sydney. It's true. I can't ever give up because I can't leave my daughters. Yes, sometimes I embarrass them. Sometimes they think I'm a tyrant. That's a direct quote. There is an adjective that describes tyrant too, but I'm not going to go there. But Taylor and Sydney, I love you guys more than I will ever be able to express. You two are my heartbeat. I am standing on this stage here tonight because of you. My oldest daughter, Taylor, I wanted her to be here, but college sophomore, summer school, second semester, starting this week. Baby girl, I love you, but you go do you. You go do that. My littlest angel is here, my 14-year-old. Sydney, come up here and give Dad a hug because I need one. I want to say thank you, ESPN. Thank you, ESPYs. Thank all of you. Have a great rest of your night and have a great rest of your life. That was the great Stuart Scott with his ESPY's speech from last year's show on ESPN. Rest in peace. We're going to continue the show. We have a lot of things coming up tonight. We're going to have Scott Smith joining us from Streetlight Recruiting and also Jermaine. We're going to do what we do best, and that's talking football all the way from high school to the NFL. We have we have a lot of things to talk about, talk about the bowl season that just took place. Uh, now we are into the national championship game that will be on January the 12th. We have those guys coming up. At the top of the hour, we will be having DMX, Bloodline Records Artist, Word One. He will be joining us. Very much looking forward to having him on. 
as I am a DMX fan too, and I'm looking forward to hearing from Word One and what he's bringing into the music industry. So we're going to turn up. It's 2015. I hope everybody had a safe New Year. I know we did. We went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. It was very cold. I don't like cold weather, but I enjoyed the vacation in a way with my fiance, my baby, the admin of the Live by Terrence show, Wendy. We took Casey and Cordier up there with us to enjoy it as well. We was ready to come back. <laughs> There's no place like home. We feel like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> but it's it, it just just great to be back. Uh, we're going to be bringing on Jermaine and Scott Smith in just a moment. But I'm going to play a song for my cuz here. I know he's kind of down about his team losing. Yeah, you know, we have a bit of rivalry. Auburn, Alabama, the Iron Bowl. If you live in the state of Alabama... You just know how much tension it is in this state when it comes to Auburn and Alabama. We compete at everything. We would compete in spitting to see how far you could spit. We're just that competitive. But, young Johnny, this is for you. I know you wanted to be the national championship, but, hey, you get to go fishing with us. War Eagle. <laughs> Nation. That 
Yo, T-Rex is back in the building. I want to welcome Jermaine and Scott Smith to the show. How you all doing tonight, and Happy New Year. What's going on, T? This is Jermaine. Hey. Happy New Year to everybody. Hey, man, it's good to join you guys in the new year. I'm I'm glad to be here, and I hope you guys are doing well, too, man. (laughs) Uh, I want to ask you, did I stay out of trouble for the new year? Oh, yeah, I stayed at home and got drunk, so... (laughs) <laughs> oh well, hey, listen, my my girlfriend wouldn't have, wouldn't have let me get in no trouble, so I I end up being pretty chaste. <laughs> well, I'll say to that. Oh man, that's funny. Well, I want to say thank y'all for joining us for the 2015 season of the Live by Terrence show. So I know since Jermaine, you didn't do anything, and Scott, you didn't do anything. I know y'all got a lot of football in you um, for the bowl season. So, what, what, who was your surprise team and? the most exciting team that you, you got to see during the bowl season? Go ahead, I'm going to let you go first. Um, I think the I'm biggest sorry. surprise for me was was uh, was that Fiesta Bowl, how competitive that it was. Well, on paper, it didn't look as competitive. Um. Of course, Boise State came out on top of that in that matchup, but I think I think the game of the think everybody's team is Ohio State. If, if my I may agree, if, if I may just throw it and throw it on out there, I they actually dismantled Alabama. Yeah, I mean. You did on with that word, dismantle. That's a good word, <laughs> appropriate word. You know, when you give up over 250 rushes and over 250 passing and you give up 28 in a row to a, to a team as a third-string quarterback when you're ahead 21-6, to six, dismantles is probably – that might even be understatement. Even though I think it's a great word, that might be understatement. And I was shocked because everybody. So I think, I think uh, you know, a lot of people were shocked and a lot of people didn't want to admit the truth. But the truth is Ohio State had better players than people thought. I, I love that team speed, and I think that they'll match up just as well with Oregon in the national championship game. But I don't think offensively they'll be able to put up the points that Oregon will. I could see that. I mean, here's my thing on it, and I, I, I could be wrong because I'll be honest. Before the, I picked Alabama versus Florida State, and the reason I did was because Oregon always chokes. We've seen it year after year at some point. When, at some point, no matter how good they look, they always run, they always run into a point where they just they ain't got enough something. I don't know what how to describe it, but I guess when you played 125 years, you never won the championship. Something I guess I don't know if it's something to do wearing the helmet. I don't know what the deal is, but it's just they always choke. So I picked Florida State. I thought Oregon capitalized on turnovers quite quite a bit. I mean, I, I don't know how much you guys watched that game, but but one thing that I took from that game, and I'm still kind of I'm giving it a little thought as far as how they're going to go do against Ohio State. I watched Florida State a lot this year, and I know you guys did too, and they 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 struggled even though Jameis pulled them out in many games. But if you watch the first two to two and a half quarters of that of the game the other day and just just cut the cut the turnovers out. Cut the turnovers right out of it and just watch just watch the plays other than that. Florida State 
up until about 10 minutes left in the third quarter, was playing better than I've seen him play all year. It, but five turnovers in 18 minutes. I don't know if I've ever seen that happen. I mean, I, to be honest with you, Alabama fans the other night after Ohio State wanted to talk about turnovers. Let me tell you what, if anybody can talk about turnovers, good grief. Five well, in eight hey. minutes. Is, that, 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 I've never seen it. I've watched football since I was eight years old. I ain't never seen nobody commit five turnovers in 18 minutes. I, I, I mean, they weren't playing bad, though. I, I, I just truly believe that. So here's the thing. The question is, if, Florida, if I'm right, if Florida State did look athletically, both on offense and defense, they were they wouldn't struggling as much as they have in some games this year, uh, before, other than the turnovers. All right, if you if I'm right about that, the question is, was Florida State playing better, or were they, or was Oregon, was Oregon not as good as we think? Because I know the score's great, and the score's 59-20, and everybody goes, wow. Mm. But I'm more of a watch-the-game kind of guy. Mm. And Florida State quit after the turnovers. That's the thing. Florida State quit. Yeah. About 10 minutes of the third quarter, they laid down and said, good night, I'm, we're done. So before that, I mean, I just felt like they were playing pretty good. Before the turnovers. Uh, I, so I, 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 I think what the turning point in that game was, that missed field goal at the end of the half. And then they came out and didn't do anything with that first drive in the second half. I think that, that was the turning point right there. True, true. Very, that could be very true. I was very surprised about the physicality of Oregon because usually when they play someone that's that's portrayed to be very physical, Oregon use, usually be the one that, that bows out the, out the game real, really quick. And I was very surprised that Oregon outplayed Florida, Florida State physically. Because Florida State, outside the SEC, Florida State is probably the closest team to being an SEC team. And the way Oregon dominated them on both sides of the ball is, is very impressive to me. I have Oregon going in as the favorite to beat Ohio State. If, if they was able to do that to Florida State, I think the game is going to be competitive, but I just think Oregon is going to find some way to pull it out. This is their chance and this is their time to do it when you don't have any SEC team in the national championship game, because you know the horror stories when they, you know, when they play physical teams, they they don't score uh, no more than about twenty points a game or whatever. But I was very impressed on how they played. And you're right, Florida State did give up in the third quarter. Well, and um, here's the, here's the, here's the thing when you talk about physical though, and this is something I wouldn't have necessarily said before watching them do because I didn't. Well, I'm gonna tell you this: I didn't watch Ohio State versus Wisconsin. But I do know how the style Wisconsin plays, and as an Auburn fan, you probably watched. You know Wisconsin will punch you in the mouth. Okay, mm-hmm. Wisconsin was about as tough. They're the kind of you wouldn't want to meet one of those Wisconsin <sighs> offensive linemen in an alley anywhere. They're pretty no. tough. Well, okay. <laughs> Ohio State punched them in the teeth, and then Alabama, who is big and physical, Ohio State punched them in the throat. I mean, yeah. 250 rushing, 250 passing. Their quarterback run over their linebackers. Uh, their tailback average 11.5 yards a carry. Alabama, I mean, Ohio State punched them in the throat. So that's two traditionally physical football teams that they just neck punched. All right, can Oregon? Are they ready for that? That's the question. And I'm here's the thing. I was very skeptical about about Ohio State before Alabama. And the more I think about it, I'm sitting here going, you know, these guys are fast, and they're punching people in the throat that don't usually get punched in the throat. So. <laughs> I guess, I I guess you know, hey, Oregon, hey, Oregon's a sexy team, but is it the smart team, I guess, is my – I'm, I'm still well, – I, I, I don't know who to pick again. Here's the, here's the thing that I was looking at before the, before the Oregon-Florida State game, and that was 
can the secondary of Oregon match up with the speed of Oregon, of uh, Florida State's receivers? They nullify that just by being physical up front. That's true. If That's you notice that game. And the same thing that I was wondering about the Alabama-Ohio State game was, can that young secondary of Alabama deal with Devin Smith and uh, and the Marshall kid on the outside? Cordell Jones, all he did was stroll into the zone all day long. I mean, he found voids in the zone that most true freshmen or redshirt freshmen would never decide to do. I mean, he's putting that, balls. That's on true. The you got to give some of that credit to Urban Meyer. You got to. I mean, to beat Nick Saban, who has you know over thirty days to repair, when you have a quarterback that let's just guess has at the most a third of the playbook that Braxton Miller would have, a third mm-hmm. of the audibles. Okay, you, it's you got to. And I'm not. I personally think Urban Meyer is a great coach, and I'm not a big fan of him. I think he seems like a little bit of a prick in recruiting. I've kind of gathered that a little bit, but. Uh, the guy obviously can coach quarterbacks and can coach offensive football because that's a situation you would if you're facing Nick Saban and he's got thirty days to prepare, you you kinda you hope that you got all your all your guns on board and with a red shirt freshman quarterback, no matter how good that kid is, there's no way he's really got that much of the playbook and that mean you know, that many audible responsibilities and that type of deal. Right, and I and I and I feel like if you put sugar in any any game that Alabama plays, they're gonna run away from it and lose. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, here's the here's the benefit, Terry. And I've got a lot of respect for Alabama as a Notre Dame fan. They obviously took two years ago. They took us to the woodshed, and, and I have no problem admitting when 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 my team gets beat and they aren't the better team and that kind of deal, yada yada. Well, every time Alabama goes to the Sugar Bowl, it's, even though Utah was better than them, they could have played them on the moon for the title of the universe, and, and they would have lost uh, back in 07. And, oh wait, uh, 08. All right, same thing with Oklahoma last year. Oklahoma was just faster. Period. But yet, all you had to hear was we didn't show up. We didn't want to be there. All this uh, crap, if you excuse my language here. But this year, we didn't have to deal with that. They had a huge game. They were had a 21-6 lead on a third-string quarterback. There should be no excuses. They got, you know, None. it's it. If you're an Alabama fan, you got a game by 130 yards. You go 250 rushing, over 250 passing. And, and if you don't admit they're a better team than you, then I don't know what to tell you. Like, that's just ridiculous. Ohio State was better than them, and before the game, I'd be the first team. I would, there's no way I'd pick Ohio State to be better than them. I thought Alabama would beat them. They, you know, Ohio State didn't have a prayer, so I was wrong. I noticed a lot of Alabama fans on the Facebook action trying to say, "Well, if we kept running the ball and if we didn't turn it over, well, guess what? Ohio State, Nick Saban himself, he said we never were in control of this game. He said even when we were ahead, we were only ahead because of the turnovers. He said his exact yeah. words were, "We never stopped them." That was his exact words. I mean, they got that one the, – the two stops they got in the red zone could easily have been 14 points with the two field oh, goals early in the game. Absolutely. And um, I think it goes back to the play calling. I think they both were calling plays close to the hip early in the game. But then as the game went along, you start seeing them open up just a tad bit. Both of them open up just a tad bit. But Lane Kiffin couldn't get into that rhythm 
that you normally see him in in that second half where he can just look and read, whistle and change plays. You, he couldn't do that. That's true. Plus, you got you got to kind of kind of consider as a play caller, it puts you in a it puts a lot more pressure on you when you can when you know that when you're that your defense or you're used to just stuffing people, your defense is getting just raked over the coals every time they're on the field. They're getting whether they're giving up points or not, they're giving up yardage every time Ohio State has the ball. So that probably, I mean, I'm sure as a human being, that'll make you naturally you'll you'll be a little bit more pressurized. You'll feel a little more pressure. You'll call plays a little differently. It's one thing I will say about in Lane Kiffin's defense, and I don't really like the guy. I, as a Notre Dame fan, I saw him at USC. I didn't think he was a great play caller. I thought he did a good job for Alabama this year. But I will say this. 35 points should win you a football game. So if anybody yeah. wants to talk about play calling, they, they need to go, you know, take a look in the mirror. I mean, please. No, your defense got destroyed, and that's all there is to it. Agreed. Agreed. Well, you know they're you know they trying to find a scapegoat. Uh, with Lane Kiffin, uh, he didn't call certain plays, and that's the reason why we lost or whatever. But we we need to look at Kirby Smart. Could could Kirby Smart be on the hot seat? Because this is two years in a row in the Sugar Bowl where they have put up – his defense has allowed big numbers. So is Kirby Smart on the, on the hot seat? You see him I coming back? I wouldn't necessarily put him on the hot seat. Uh, I just think that they came up against – better prepared coaches than them. I think that they they went on reputation instead of actual preparation. Okay. That's my personal opinion. Here's my thing. I think Kirby Smart is, is – I think he does a lot with the defense. But make no mistake, I, I still think that's Nick Saban's defense. And I do think – here's the deal. I think Nick Saban is one of the greatest defensive minds in the history of college football. I think Nick Saban is struggling to adapt his philosophy – which is has always been. It's always been corners on an island, big physical safeties, big physical linebackers, huge defensive linemen. I think he's struggling to adapt that philosophy to the spread, that the spread type deal. The reason I say that is because ever since, if you remember Utah in 08, they came out and they went four and five wide. Alabama could not cover them with the three four personnel because the three four personnel is great in the NFL when everybody's a balanced offense. In college, that's not what you. That's not what it is. Well, I, I think you know Nick Saban's tried to change some stuff to where they supposedly try to run some four man four two five type deal. The thing is, the thing I've kind of always believed as a coach is kind of like Bill Walsh was a West Coast was a West Coast offensive coach, right? I don't believe Bill Walsh could have coached the wing team. I don't believe Bill Walsh no. could have coached the triple option. You are what you are. Nick Saban is a three four coach. He cannot adapt in recruiting to the spread offense and adapt his personnel. I personally think he needs to quit trying to. I think they've gotten smaller on defense. They, they haven't. And see, see, if you look back in 08 to 2010, their linebackers across the board were huge. I mean, every one of them mm-hmm. weighed 240 or better. Now you now you're you, you're getting a little smaller, trying to get more athletic. Well, that's you don't you're getting out of your element because you don't know that that you you had that's he's done three four stuff for 40 years. He needs to quit trying to, to adapt and just try to see what he can do within, what he, within the knowledge of what he can do. Because right now it ain't working against the, the really good spread teams. And you look at you look at what he's got coming back next year. His biggest linebacker is Ruben Foster, and he's only 6'1", about 230, 240. So, I mean, 
I see where you where you where you say that. And he hasn't had that balance of big man physical corners, physical safety since I would say the last championship year. Well, the championship year before that, what two thousand nine? I would say. That's true. That's true. Had, well, I mean, because you know, if you look even against Notre Dame, I'll sit, I'll sit here and tell you what the difference between Notre Dame and Alabama that night was not defense. I mean, sure their defensive line and linebackers were good. Their offensive line was probably the greatest in the history of college football. So, mm-hmm. in other words, they're gonna every time you face that team, they're gonna have the ball more than you're gonna have the ball. And their defense, consequently, is gonna benefit because they're not they don't have to stop the team that much. So they're they're gonna look points per game and stuff. They're gonna look really good. But when we played them, I mean. We we moved the ball. Goats threw for two seventy five, and we moved the ball pretty decent. We just couldn't stop them because their offensive line was like five, you know, sledgehammers. But yep. I, I do think since since Texas, which really, I mean, I mean, Texas moved the ball all over them with 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 a true freshman quarterback that ended up being a, a terrible college football player for the most part until they got to SMU. I think Alabama has struggled defensively. I mean, go back and look at every ball, Utah. Even Texas, if you want to count Garrett Gilbert, I mean mm-hmm. Gilbert the Great moved the ball for four quarters, for three quarters on them. Uh, you know, Oklahoma, this year Ohio State. I mean, except Notre Dame, I thought we moved the ball decent. The only player we had, the only player Notre Dame had to play any play at all good against them was Everett Golson. I don't, I ain't seen a good defensive Alabama team in a while. I'm with you on that. I, you know, you go back to those. You go back. Now, if you if you parallel that game with the Florida State Oregon game, you see the same similar type differences between and the problems with the Oregon with, with Florida State and with Alabama with the way they play defense. It seems like they both just got out physical by teams who are more or less finesse teams. That's right. Well, I mean, and why did Ohio State's quarterback? Why did he, uh, you know, physically? You think he would have physically run over Rolando McClain and, and, and some of the bigger linebackers Alabama's had in the past? I, I don't. I, I don't mean, think he would have. I think I, you know, in a smaller Rashad Johnson who played free safety at Alabama, he was he wasn't the biggest kid in the world, but he had more heart. He probably would have punched him in the mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's you're, you're right. It is it, sometimes it's about toughness and. and you're right. I mean, Alabama's got some. Now, don't get me wrong; they got some very good defensive players. But I just, I, I, I sit in recruiting. I feel like they had, they tried to uh, to change a little bit. And, and a lot of people would say, "Well, their defense versus LSU that year was great." Okay. Well, let me. Here's my question. We both know. Every all three of us know that those two offenses that played in the LSU Alabama national championship game were no juggernauts. That LSU offense was horrific. All right. Now, I'm not saying Oklahoma State would have beat Alabama because they wouldn't have. But make no mistake, no. if Alabama would have played Oklahoma State, they wouldn't have shut them out. I mean, that's, they wouldn't no. have. I mean, if you look at – you look at – I can go back to that. I can go back and I can remember both of those games vividly. Where they ran exclusively first down in the first game. McElwain passed the ball. First down in that in the right. national championship game. Sure did. So, I mean, sure that, that was a balance there. So, I mean, and then Shelly got, got hot at the right time, kicked five field goals, but, you know, whoop-de-doo, great for him. 
but I think they still haven't had that dominant special teams player just yet. And J.K. Scott's in a, and J.K. Scott's pretty much changing that that mindset for a lot of people across the nation. Oh yeah, he can great. do all three. Absolutely, and, and he he's can great. do all three. I mean, for him to be second in the Ray Guy Award vote as a true freshman, I I would have never thought that in a hundred years. That's true. But, he's, he's great. But I, I don't. I think that they need a kicker. I think they need some linemen. I think. I mean, Alabama, they'll be loaded again next year, but it won't be as good as the past three, four years. Well, let me pick it back off of that. With with that loss that Alabama suffered in Auburn, do you see the SEC West being overrated for all the bowl losses that they received this year? I'd love to go first here. I hate to jump in, <laughs> but I, I've been itching to talk about this topic. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, uh, here's the deal. Number one, I didn't say who my best, who my most surprising team was. I, to me, it was CCU because I still feel like they may be the best team in the country. Uh, so let me throw that out there before I segue into them beating Ole Miss like they stole something. Um, I'm, I, I'll sit here and tell you, there's been a lot of times this year that I've been incorrect, quite a few actually, been incorrect on my prognostications. But I do believe that uh, that I've said several times on this show, including at one point when Ole Miss was number, well, Mississippi State was number one and Ole Miss was number four, that I thought neither one of them was a top ten team. I've been saying that all year long. People wanted to tell me, oh, yada, yada, there's this, there's that. Listen, they've never been top ten teams in my in my lifetime or right. my granddaddy's lifetime or anybody else's. So they're not a top ten teams this year, and they were, that was proven in the bowls. Um, when, when you look at it in total, the top five teams in the SEC West was Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and LSU. They combined to go 0-5. They're out by 67 points. They allowed over 2,500 yards of offense, 127 first downs. They give up 1,573 rushing yards, those five teams combined. I mean, that's, listen, that's getting punched in the throat. That's not spread offense. That's getting punched dead in the throat. Mm-hmm. And in, in total, they, they give up 24 touchdowns, 15 rushing and nine passing. They went 0-5 combined between them. Um, and my, my assessment is that the SEC – that may have been – because my, t- my take all year has been they're good at the top and they're not good all the way through. I'll, I may have been very well wrong about that. I think the SEC may have been better. And the East may have been better than we thought. The middle and the bottom, like A&M and, and that kind of deal, they may have been – Arkansas, they may have been better than we thought or than I right. thought. But the top of the SEC West, for that one point they had four teams in the top seven. That's laughable if you look at it now. Um, I believe the SEC has been the best conference in the country for the past 10 years. But I also believe things run in cycles. I believe that in the 90s, the Big Ten was the best. I believe mm-hmm. that the SEC has been the best for a while now. But it runs in cycles. And I don't believe the SEC is the best conference this year. My question, okay, to to uh, to his statement. I personally felt like if the Big 12 commissioner would have gotten it right, and declared one champion instead of a co-champion, TCU or Baylor would have been in that playoff game. You wouldn't even have seen the Ohio State in there. But when you look at it in this context, the way that TCU played 
in their in their New Year's Six game as a, as opposed to Baylor in their New Year's Six game. I would have I would have definitely thought that the Big Twelve champion would have been TCU, even though Baylor beat TCU earlier in the season. That's how good TCU they did. was. Here's and I'll tell you, I hate to be. I hate to be hypocritical, or or I hate to I hate to say things opposite of what I would normally say because I'm big on head to head. I mean, 99 times out of 100, head to head is the end all, be all. That's it. Mm-hmm. You beat somebody right. head to head. That's it. If you right. watch the Baylor TCU game, which I just happened to have been watching, in the fourth quarter, TCU had a 21 point lead at Baylor. Now, if anybody out there, if you follow Baylor. They are typically away from home, not very good. Neutral field, not very good. But they no, are a juggernaut at home. And TCU was at their place, and they were up 21 in the fourth quarter. Bryce Teddy made three throws, three touchdown throws, outside of 25 yards in the fourth quarter to take, to give Baylor that win. That they were, I mean, this, Joe Montana might not could have made those throws. No, so he didn't right. have With that said, I believe, I believe TCU would beat them 90 times out of 100. And, and you know, I guess my point is TCU may not have deserved to be in the playoffs because they they may not have won their conference right now. But if you put them all on the field and they all had to play each other, I think TCU would win the national championship. Now thinking ahead, you know, you know, we got the national championship game with um, Oregon and, and Ohio State. Who do you see going into the 2015 season that may be in the playoffs? I'll, I'll give you two right off the top, but without having, because I, I really hadn't considered this question to be honest, honest with you, Terrence. The only two that I, I feel, and I feel like, is a possibility. I'm not by no means am I putting them both in the playoffs. I think Alabama returns a lot. I mean, they do. I, if, if they can do something with quarterback, because I'm gonna be honest, if Jacob Coke is the quarterback, they all, there will be no playoffs unless it's the high school playoffs in Alabama or something. There will be no college playoffs if Jacob Coke is the quarterback. <laughs> but I think Alabama. I think Alabama returns. I'm not mistaken, 20 or 22 starters or something like that. 21 and, starters. And, and and Notre Dame returns 21 or 22. And all 22, if you consider Kavari Russell's coming off suspension, it will be a, will be they'll technically return 22 starters. I think Notre Dame has an outside shot considering their schedule. <clears throat> that kind of deal. Now I would give Alabama a higher shot than Notre Dame, but those are the only two teams I've really that I know anything about as far as what they're returning. I hadn't really looked in depth at other teams' depth charts and that kind of deal. But those two teams, I, I feel pretty good. Both are preseason top ten. I I like I really like those two picks. Also, um, I like I like the possibility of TCU coming back, even though they'll be replacing the quarterback and they'll have to bring in another receiver. But I think that you can also add Georgia to that mix. If you got a healthy marshal and then you have receiving cores, they have that receiving core back, they lose one, and they find an offensive coordinator to go along with that, and the possibility of Jeff Driscoll going to Georgia, <laughs> I think Georgia may be ahead of the be, be ahead of the curve. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. It might, Bobo, that could be addition by subtraction, depending on who you, what kind of. I've seen Mike. I've seen Bobo call good games. I've seen him call bad. So there's probably a faction that would say he's underrated. There's a 
Paxton would say he's overrated, I would definitely say yeah, man, consistent with the talent he's had. I mean, good grief. Mm-hmm. The talent he's had the past 10 years, I really believe. I've, I've never been an offensive coordinator in a high school game, and I believe I, I could coordinate for more points per game than he has the past 10. Um, with that said, <laughs> Jeff Driscoll could I, – I, I, listen, Driscoll seems like a terrific young man and a great kid. And if I had a daughter, I'd probably let him marry her. But I, I, as far as letting him – as far as him being a plus, a, a bonus, a benefit move coming into Georgia – I would be willing to bet he'd be more like uh, Jake Heaps that transferred to Miami and didn't crack the top three of the depth chart. Or, or Brandon, uh, there was a kid transferred from Purdue years ago that was a starter at Purdue to USC, and I don't think he ever got above the practice squad. Oh, you're talking about uh, Brandon. Uh, was it Brandon Hance, I believe? Brandon, something like yes, that? Yes, yes, Hance. Yeah, he Hance. never even uh, got in the <laughs> – I don't know if they give him a uniform. But, uh, you know, I just called my, I just – I would go out on a limb and basically say that I would guess that there's a quarterback on George's campus right now that's better than Jeff Driscoll. He's got all the tools. Oh, yeah. But some, something's missing. I, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where you look at Tom Brady. Whatever he has, the clock in his head, the something inside mentally is what makes <clears> him better than, than Jeff Driscoll. Arm strength, they're the same. Driscoll's bigger. I mean, Driscoll's bigger than Tom Brady. He's faster. He probably looks great in speedos throwing against air. But something when he takes a snap and people are rushing him, it just breaks down. And He's a I, I'm not a. If you think about I don't it. see. Listen, if you can't succeed at Florida, I don't know where you can. Uh, he's a toothpick if you think about it. I mean, it, what two years in a row that he got hurt, season and injury. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's so very that's true. But, uh, Bra- hey, Braxton Miller might be a good one for Georgia to go after. Braxton Miller might be, a, you know, him, them more Alabama, either one. And that wouldn't be a bad thing. Okay, well, see, I heard Duke the other day. Actually, me and my father had a discussion, and I said, "You know I what? Heard Duke, and I heard Duke, and if, if he's interested in Duke, Alabama ought to be sitting on his front porch." <laughs> oh boy! I mean, <laughs> if he goes to Duke, Duke will be an eleven-win team next year. Yeah, Braxton Miller's. I mean, he's a terrific player. A terrific player. And I, the thing is about him, I believe. He can be a good to great quarterback in most systems because of his experience. He's not a great thrower, but his his experience as a college quarterback allows him he can play in a pro style system in college and still be yes. very good. I think that he he's more adaptable at quarterback than a Tim Tebow or Terrell Pryor ever will be. Oh, totally agree. Totally agree. I mean, yeah. Go ahead, T. I'm sorry. No, you, no, you fine. You can, go, you can go ahead. You can continue. You know, and, and the reason why I say that is because Braxton Miller, yes, he's in the system. But when you're in that system, you have strengths within that system. And he didn't throw over 8,000 yards in the system just because. I mean, they let him have that latitude to be that thrower, to be that that runner, you know, when you have when you have over, uh, I'm sorry, over seven thousand yards passing, and almost three thousand yards running. I mean, you typically you typically can can just do anything you want to do. Case in point, like a Russell Wilson. Very true. I mean, well, and, and I've always said, that in fairness, you know, Braxton Miller, even Tim Tebow. Uh, no matter how bad a thrower people think, like Francis Tebow is. You don't play in a big big college conference like the SEC or the Big Ten, complete over 60% of your passes for thousands of yards and not be able to throw the football. I mean, like, you know, that 
listen, that's that's not easy. It's hard to throw for seven mm-hmm. seven thousand yards or what did, I don't know what Tebow ended up throwing for a lot of yards. Uh eighty nine uh, eighty five hundred yards, eighty two yeah, touchdowns. You don't throw for eighty five hundred yards by accident. <laughs> you know, that Tebow right now can throw it as far as the NFL level, but Kyle, you know, hey listen, that's not by accident. You can throw you can spin the football a little bit if you can do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he went up to George Whitfield, and uh, I actually saw the videotape of him with Whitfield uh, when he changed his motion again, right before this past season, before he joined the, the ESC and ABC. Mm-hmm. He looked more crisp and more comfortable as a passer when he went out there than he did that first two years at at Denver. I personally, if I was John Elway, even though he's not a traditional quarterback, he led you to a playoff win. Oh, I would you know, I, I totally agree. I, Listen, he, he, he should have been let go. I mean, and, you know, and I think that if he had a, if he had a mentor like, like a Peyton Manning, like Mark Osweiler does now, the sky's the limit for what Tim Tebow could really do. I really believe that. I, I think that he's got that kind of talent and that kind of will to succeed. Well, and, and, and I believe, I'll believe i tell you this, I believe if one of these derelict-type like type, uh, NFL franchises, you know, you, you got some in the Browns, for example, you know, I do like Johnny, but there's a lot of – there's several NFL teams that have struggled for years and years – I don't. I've never understood why not bringing somebody like Urban Meyer, bringing in a spread type coach. Obviously, the spread stuff works in the NFL. I mean, the, the Patriots with Tom Brady been running the air raid for several years. Basically, what mm-hmm. Texas Tech ran for years. All right, you're starting to see people that are not spread option coaches like Jim Harbaugh and stuff and, and Pete Carroll. Their teams are succeeding running it. What do you think a real spread option coach would do? Look at Chip Kelly, what he's done. You could bring in another mm-hmm. one, or or somebody like Chip Kelly could do this. You could right now. You could have Tim Tebow, Vince Young, Pat White. I could probably name four or five. You want to talk about hey, the quarterback get beat up and run this? By God, I can get five or six of them that are all capable of running this. <clears throat> and we bring them all in, and guess what? We didn't give up anything to get them. We we got four quarters on the minimum, the tail minimum. <laughs> already, I mean, we already got that. You, you look at Pat White as opposed to any of those any of those spread quarterbacks you just named. He was probably the more polished as a as a passer because of his baseball background. That's true. Very true. He was he was a terrific prospect. I mean, he wanted the he, he was going to come to Auburn, but I think the coaches either wanted him to play one or the other. They wouldn't to let him play both. Right. They yep. wanted him to play receiver. And um, he wasn't. He, he didn't want to do that. So that's how he ended up being at West Virginia. And of course, you saw much success that he had there. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have to cut this segment short, and we're gonna continue our talking football segment next Sunday at six o five p.m. I want to give y'all a chance to to add any closing statements tonight. Uh, yeah, I'd just like to say, man, I sure I've enjoyed talking with you guys throughout the football season. I look forward to uh, to, to discussing 
football and any other topics from from here out. And uh, I'd just like to you know throw out there that anybody that uh, is, is, is needs any recruiting help or knows anybody knows any high school junior college kids need any recruiting help, please feel free to uh, to check out streetlightrecruiting.com and uh, get in touch with me. I'll be ha- I help all sports and. Uh, uh, again, I, I look forward to speaking with you guys as well, but uh, anybody needs to get in touch with me can definitely access uh, my contact information at recruiting.com. And uh, also I want to send out a special shout-out to a former Chicago Bear, uh, Jim Harbaugh, for getting your dream job. The uh, mission is going to be back. I just, I just feel that one or two years away, they will be back. Well, guys, I want to say thank you for being on the Live by Terrence show. It's always an honor and a pleasure to have you all on, and I'm looking forward to talking more sports with you all next Sunday night. Look forward to it. You guys have a good one. Oh, yeah. You guys do, too. That was Scott Smith and Jermaine. They are on every Sunday night after the 6 o'clock hour. We talk about sports. Um I cut the, sh- the, the segment short because, you know, at the beginning of the show, we did a tribute to Stuart Scott. And so we are running over. We have an interview coming up in just a few minutes with Word One. Looking forward to having him on the show. But we'll be right back. From Chi-Town to the Ville. Nap down to the Natty. Hype is where it's at for music and news. From hip-hop to Hollywood. Attention listeners. Attention listeners. Log on to thehypemagazine.com for the hottest hip-hop and urban magazine you've ever seen. It's the 411 on the world of entertainment. New releases. And, and more. more. Just log on to thehypemagazine.com. In stores now at 7-Eleven, Kmart, Target, Barnes & Noble, Marsh, Chicken Save, as well as all mobile devices. Hype. How you perceive everything. Welcome back to the Live by Terrence show. I am T-Rex. We are definitely in the building. Again, I want to thank Jermaine and Scott Smith of Streetlight Recruiting for being on the show. Love talking college football. We didn't get around to the NFL and, of course, high school recruiting, but we will continue that all next Sunday. whole show will be dedicated to recruiting, college football, and the NFL playoffs and the upcoming national championship game that will be on January the 12th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time between Oregon and Ohio State. We have our guests in the building. We want to welcome Word One in just a few seconds. Um, I'm looking forward to having him on. He is a vet in the game. He signed with Bloodline Records under DMX, the legendary DMX. So we're going to bring on Word One to the show. How you doing tonight, sir? I'm blessed, brother. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's an honor and a blessing to have you on the show tonight, and I just want to say thank you for being on tonight. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity, my man. Now, I know you have a mixtape that will be dropping, um, The Best of Freestyles, Volume 3, Rough Rider Edition, next month. Uh, can you tell us about, about that um, project that you have coming out? Um, Yeah. Uh, my Best of Freestyles series is normally, you know, classic old school uh, freestyle mixtape style, something that a lot of artists really don't do too much. You know, uh, Wayne kind of keeps that tradition going with his uh, dedication series and a couple of artists, but it's something that I've been doing for, for quite some time myself. So being that I got the situation now with Bloodline and Rough Riders, I thought it was only fitting that I remind people of the glory of Rough Riders by doing Best of Freestyles 
uh, Volume Three and making it a Rough Rider edition. So every every record on there is a Rough Rider track. It's either produced by Swiss or it's you know a, a record by one of the Rough Riders or a record featuring one of the Rough Riders. So you know we just want to get people back into into the loop of things of, of how uh, prominent the Rough Rider organization really is. Now I know your music is is catered to more of the blue collar people. Uh, you talk about real life situations, which I really appreciate that we don't get enough of that on mainstream radio. Uh, what are some of the topics that you talk about? Or you, do you pull from your own life, or do you pull from situations that people talk to you about? Nah, it's one hundred percent from from my own life and my own experiences. Um, you know, uh, I wasn't born rich. And I, you know, I wasn't born in the trap house, at, 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 you know, with my diaper on, cooking up in the cooking up the, the Pyrex in the pot. You know what I'm saying? Like I lived a normal life, like like everybody else. You know, I had my drug dealing days, and I did my time in penitentiaries and, and whatnot. But you know, for the most part, man, I'm, I was a regular person. I'm not ashamed to admit it. You know, most artists will will say stuff like that in order to um, to pull a fan base, but I really. You know, I really lived it. And even to this day, I mean, most people in my local community who don't know who I am would never even know I was a signed artist. So I still live as a normal person to this day. Like, I don't run around acting Hollywood, you know. I just think the more I stay grounded, the more I can continue to make records that people can relate to. Now, how do you, how are you able to resist that temptation of living a Hollywood life? Like you said, you, you just live a normal life, but... You know, with the success that you have with opening for Destiny's Child, Lil, Lil John, DMX, and, 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 and many artists, how are you able to keep yourself grounded to live a normal life and not get caught up in being Hollywood? Well, I mean, for starters, I ain't got Hollywood money yet. So, <laughs> so okay. that definitely helps. But, um, I mean, but I, I, I've been in this game for a long time. So I've, I've seen how success corrupts minds and I see how how short-lived a career can actually be, you know, when you're in a situation where the labels aren't doing all the work for you. And nowadays in hip-hop, the labels are not doing all the work for artists. So that's why we have so many one-hit, two-hit wonders that are hitting the radio here today going tomorrow artists. I don't want to be one of those. So as long as I can stay on track with what I've been doing, you know, I'll be okay. And, I, you know, I always keep in mind the purpose of why I do this music and continue to give give the fans the music that they love and appreciate. And it's because I have righteous indignation on my side. Like, this isn't about getting rich by helicopters and, and, and space jets so I can go vacation on Pluto. Like, this is this is about real-world stuff, man. I want to put my kids to college. I want to make sure my mom can get the proper health uh, uh, health care can buy. You know what I mean? So I have righteous indignation on my side. So as far as... The, the fancy cars and everything else. When my mom has a house, my grandma has a house, my kids all have their own houses, then I'll consider living that Hollywood lifestyle. But until then, it's all about the underdog movement. Now, you know, that has been a, a, a big evolution of hip-hop since, I would say, the late 90s to the current year of 2015. How, where do you fit in in the evolution of, of hip-hop, and where do you see it going in the next five years? Um, as far as my personal contribution to hip hop, I think I think really that all boils down to the fans' participation. You know, because without them, no artist, um, excluding no one, has a shot at being anywhere in the next five, ten years in hip hop. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it, it's a team effort. But 
So I can't really give a prediction on that. It, it all depends on how far my fans would like to see me go. But as far as hip-hop in general, with or without me, the way that it's going right now is really – it's hard to say, man, because I think that people really misconstrue what hip-hop really means, which I think is probably a whole other conversation. But it, it, people misconstrue what hip-hop really is. Like, people think that hip-hop is strictly lyricism or strictly – you know, using the premiere of a rigid style beat or something like that, and that, you know, that's hip-hop, underground hip-hop. But, you know, if you go back to the days of Grandmaster Flash and, you know, uh, Furious Five and and, and and all of these cats that, that were pioneers, Sugar Hill Gang, like, hip-hop was started for, you know, making records for people to dance to, you know, for people to get emotional to, for people to, to, to it, it, was, it was made to affect their mood. But I think the way that hip-hop has evolved and that there's so many different ways of doing that, that people have different ideologies of what hip-hop really is. I think as far as rap music in general, I think rap music is still going to be the dominant force in music genres, but I think that there should be a way to categorize different types of rap because I can't say that Migos and J. Cole are both in the same lane. Right. They both make records for people to jam in the club, but they're not the same lane. You know, Nelly doing a country record crossover to me is not the same as a Jay-Z blueprint style project. You know, so I, it's hard for me to say, like, hip-hop is so widespread. It's just going to continue, continue to keep growing, and people are either going to like it or not. Right. And I know you, you stated that you create music for the underdogs. Do you consider yourself an underdog as well? Of course. Most definitely. Now, what what is it like working with DMX? DMX is a very intense artist, and he's a very intense person in life. Um, how is it working with him? And does he push you to to give your best, or you or do you already come into the studio or come into the the music industry giving your all? I mean, of course, you you have to come into this business giving your all. Like, there's no there is no other way to be accepted. Like, if you're not giving your all, nobody wants to give you the time of day regardless. You know what I mean? Like, who would who would want to keep an employee working for their company if, if that employee isn't giving their all to, to maintain the integrity of the business? So, with hip-hop, it, you know, it's still the same principle. You know, I had to give it my all. And, you know, so, it, it, it you know, it, it's just one of those things where that wasn't even an option. With X being the type of artist that he's notorious for being, then that ought to tell you, like, my word ethic was... <laughs> ridiculous before even coming into the situation for me to be his only artist. But X, I mean, yeah, he's known for being an intense person, but as far as my personal dealings with him, you know what I'm saying? I don't see X the same way that the general public sees X these days. You know, I, I can't see him like that no more. And X has always been one of my top five, but I can't see him like that no more. Like, that's big bro now because X is one of the most, one of the most, Deepest conversationalist I've ever I've ever met in my life, whether inside or outside of rap music. Like the, the words that come out of this man's mouth are ridiculously deep. Um, I think he's one of the most humble hip hop artists that I've ever met in rap. You know, it, I mean, this dude's humility is beyond words. Like if he wasn't so publicly known as he is, man, this dude could blend in with a crowd easily. Like he is super humble. And even though he has all the negative attention that people give him, you know, this is a man that really, truly loves life and loves every moment about life. So, 
you know, it's not the situation that people would think to where it's just, you know, this guy's just going to be hardcore on my behind while I'm working on these projects. Not at all. In fact, it's the opposite. You know, if if this man, like, there's been times where, and X is the type of guy that'll put you on the spot quick. Like, when right. he's 16, like, he'll put you on the spot immediately. But it's certain times where I, where I hit him up like, yo, you got to check out this version. He's like, man, you ain't got to prove to me. You want right. the team. I know you got bars. So X trusts me to do what needs to be done, and when he feels that it's time for him to step in and and give his input on what direction the record needs to go or or a project needs to go, then he'll definitely step in and do so. But for right now, man, like we we business minded people. I'm working on my project, my mixtape. You know, I'm hoping to get it out to the to the masses by February and have a definitive release date. And right now, X is working on his album, which I'll also be contributing on. And making sure that he's got a top quality project. And for all of y'all who are wondering, as far as X's ability to provide good records, y'all have no idea how bananas this new album is going to be. Like it's beyond bonkers. That's all I can tell y'all right now. It's beyond bonkers. So we we working. We hard workers. We working. Yes, and and we are definitely looking forward to that album drop next month. Uh, been missing out on. I'm listening to some real life, real hip hop, especially on the mainstream circuit anyway. So definitely looking forward to that. But speaking of your top five, you say you already have DMX in your top five. Who who is in who is your other top four? Um, man, that usually varies depending on my mood too. But I'd say if you had to ask me right now, DMX is definitely in my top five. Eminem will always be in my top five. Um. I, I probably have to say Tech Nine is in my top five. A lot of people sleep on Tech. Oh um, yes, Tech is definitely in my top five. Uh, Buster Rhymes most likely, you know, is usually in my top five because I don't think there's ever been more of a creative uh, influence in in hip hop music than than Bust. And uh, oof, the last part is something else. Um. I'll probably have to say ooh, if I could if I could put a group, I would have to say a tribe called Quest. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they they they, they was very underrated. Um Yeah, and they were I, positive hip hop. Right. Right. Yes indeed. I enjoyed listening to them, especially um when they got together with the leaders of the new school. It was, it was they made some classic tracks. So I, yeah, yeah, I, def, I definitely include them on my on my top list as groups as well, and I wish that the people of today would go back and listen to artists back then, and not just necessarily just focus on the present artists that's out now because it's 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 so much history that people don't realize that made this genre and made it the, made it the way it is today, and made it so successful. You know the struggles <laughs> and, the, and you know the 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 heartache and the pain to, to get it to where it is today, definitely need to go back and, li- and listen to some of those older tracks and the older groups that paved the way. And you know, it's, like I said, it's always a blessing to interview artists and artists that's very humble like yourself. And we are on the air with Word One. He is the leader of the underdog movement. And you definitely can follow him on Twitter at Word the Number One. O N E had a brain freeze for a second. <laughs> I do apologize for that. But we're gonna take a quick station break and we'll be back 
in just a second with Word One. Check out your number one digital outlet for music and news. From hip-hop to Hollywood. www.thehypemagazine.com Welcome back to the Live by Terrence show. I am T-Rex, and we are on the air with Word One. I want to put you on the spot. I want to see if you can drop us a freestyle for us tonight. Freestyle? Yes. <laughs> uh, let me see what I got for y'all, man. Um... Man, <laughs> I wasn't expecting to do one of these over the phone, but uh, yeah, man, let's 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 see what we got. You can tell I got the music in my soul. So I clutch the mic with an iron grip to squeeze a diamond out of coal. When I rhyme, I keep my ear to the street. So if you put me in the quiet room, I can spit to my heartbeat. You really need to pay attention. Take a sit back and listen. I'm gonna tell you what the game's been missing. A brother that's about his business and deliver more goods than Santa Claus on the risk his Christmas. I see these on every record label's wish list. I wrote rhymes in detention when the class was dismissed. Now the girls want to get my riches. They said they get a big stiff that'll get the chick pissing. Now, when the ceiling's crumbling and you hear me spit clips, just know she gave me something that just made my ish it. I'm outside digging ditches because I got my finger on the trigger and my trigger finger twitches. Who needs weed? I just get lifted from hearing cats scream and the pain that I just inflicted. I eat words like the biscuits and the food off your plate. I bet you probably wouldn't miss them. Oh, yeah, that's what's up, Word One, with the freestyle. <laughs> that's what's up. Thank, thank you so much. Uh, sorry for putting you on no the spot. But I, I know you, you're a mad lyricist, and I definitely wanted to. Yeah, I just know, had to watch the curse words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is an internet show. You could curse whatever you want to do. <laughs> oh, all right. I wasn't it's okay. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> now, we do have a track by you uh, called Babies featuring Promise. Um, can you tell us about this record? Um, yeah, man, you know, it's just an everyday record. I wouldn't call it a hater anthem or anything like that. It's just, you know how it is as as a man. You know, we see other men. We have an eye on a woman, and, you know, I, I'm probably going to get banned from the manhood society for saying this, but, you know, when we got our eyes on a woman, we know. We ain't trying to see nothing, nobody with this woman but us. And one thing that burns up a man is when, we got our eyes on a woman and the man that she with is dog and 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 we know that we can that we can treat her better. So it's kinda of one of those records to where, you know, you you do treat me like this, you don't deserve that. Give me a shot to treat you better. So that's basically the whole concept behind baby. Okay. Well we're gonna check it out right now and we're gonna be back on the air with more of word one. Phone, I'm trying to see you. 
Nice trips, nice whips, and all that other fly shit is niggas spit game. I put you at the top of my list. I ain't being lame. I wanna leave that other guy pissed. Here's just what I'm saying. Having you is granting my wish. You need a man to treat you right. Hold you down, show you the light. Be there for you in the morning after pleasing you at night. Put it down like no one else and keeps our futures in this life. Pull you from that dark place in your life and show you where it's right. Ain't worried about what he do. Let's get it poppin', shorty, and go do what we do. And you ain't gonna want that other man once we through. You know exactly what you want, and you want me, boo. You need someone to be there when you're down and make it all alright You won't need a pillow, you can lay on me, I'll hold you tight We can talk our problems out instead of trying to bust and fight Someone to lift you so high off your feet, you think you're taking flight I ain't spitting game, I'm trying to keep it real Your man just worried about himself, I really care about how you feel So if it's you and I, you guess the world will be stronger than steel But before we get that far, you need to tell me what's the deal Promise. Definitely going to keep that in the rotation. 
throughout the year. We're going to welcome Word One back to the show. Are there any closing comments you would like to make tonight? Uh, definitely want to give a shout out to my publisher, CC Vance. Uh, hope you get well soon, hon. Uh, want to give a shout out to uh, Jazz D, uh, Leo Reckless Montoya, and to all my my past, present, and future underdogs, man. And by the way, uh, the video for Act Up is coming out on YouTube, Vivo, Daily Motion, Yahoo, on January the seventh, Wednesday. Oh yeah, that's what's up. Oh yeah, De- definitely looking out for that. Um, I had already given out your Twitter um, username, but you can give it out again. What? Where can we find you on the internet? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. You can find me W O R D, the number one uh, O N E spelled out. On Facebook, you can find me the same on my on my profile page. I tried to delete. Non-fans, so I can make room for new fans. But if it's maxed out, it's maxed out. But uh, you can find me there as well. But my main page is uh, facebook.com backslash work one music, all spelled out. So I try to make it easy for everybody. All right. And the Live by Terrence show and Wendy Renee would definitely be following you on, on all those social media sites. And I just want to say <laughs> thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Such an honor, and I hope we, we can... Keep in touch and continue to network, and we'll be we'll love to have you back once you drop the album next month too. I appreciate that, man. It was a pleasure being on here, and thank you guys for the opportunity. All right, thank you so much, Word One. You have a good night. You too. Bye. That was Word One of Bloodline Records. Definitely an honor to have him on. This show has been a roller coaster for me personally because one of my mentors that I looked up to kind of probably has steered me to get into broadcasting at passed away this morning, Stuart Scott of ESPN. I do have some friends in the ESPN or colleagues that I can communicate with, and I know they are having a hard time dealing with such a great person on a professional level and a personal level. Uh, he passed away with with cancer, I have a personal story that I want to share with you all dealing with cancer. I, I lost an aunt to cancer. I lost an aunt to breast cancer. Uh, my dad, praise be to God, actually had cancer too. He he had um, prostate cancer and colon cancer. They diagnosed him with that probably almost two years ago. I took him to um, the vet hospital down in Montgomery, Alabama, and he was diagnosed with that. Well, about six months ago, he went back to get checked. He lost a lot. But by the way, he lost a lot of weight. I don't, you know, he he don't really disclose like the meds and stuff that he takes. Whatever he kind of like to keep that to himself. He's very stubborn, and I and I I, I get that too. So I know where it comes from. <laughs> But anyway, he went back to the doctor, and the doctor told him he was cancer-free. Not a drop or a bit of cancer was found in his body. Glory to God on that. So I know how it is, or know how it feels to have someone in your in your you know around you that dies from cancer or has cancer. I, I even wear a cancer band, a purple cancer band. 
every day. But I, so I, I feel so I feel gratitude and I feel sorrow for what happened to Stuart Scott. But he was a fighter though, and, he, and, and in his speech, he specifically said he didn't want anybody to feel sorry for him because he was a fighter. He was he and he fought it out. He fought out to his last second of his life. And anybody that's out there that's listening to this, if you could do anything for someone, if it's someone with cancer or someone that that's struggling to pay a bill or struggling to eat or struggling to have gas money to get to work, just reach out and help them. Your blessing will come to you tenfold in many ways possible. It might not even necessarily come back from that same person. It might come from someone else. We're going to close tonight's show out the way we started it. We're going to play the Espy speech from Stuart Scott, and then we're going to close out with Boys to Men. It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. We'll be back next Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. The whole show is going to be dedicated to sports. We're going to have Jermaine and Scott Smith back on again. Then also, we are kicking off our first 2015 Turntable Thursday show this Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. want to get a shout-out. To my fiance Wendy, shout out to the Hype Magazine. Also, you can check us check us out at www.kingofundergroundmedia.com. Go to that piff, check out our mixtape. We got our very first mixtape, King of Underground Media Volume One, featuring Flago. Flago will be a future guest of the show. He is the feature artist of our mixtape. We are competing for Making It Mag DJ competition for ten thousand dollars in cash prizes. Please go out and check it out. 2014 was great to us on Reverb Nation. DJ in the United States, top 10 DJ in the world on Reverb Nation, and in the top 600 of overall artists. That's over 3 million artists that's on Reverb Nation. I thank God for that. Lifelong dream to, to be able to make a difference. Not trying to be famous, not trying to be poor either. But we are trying to do everything we can and gather resources to help everybody out. It's definitely a blessing, definitely a blessing to have Word One on such such a humble artist on the DMX recording label. And we're looking forward to the best of freestyles, the Rough Rider edition, coming out next month in the month of February. So you all have a good night. God bless. More than 21 years ago on March 4th, 1993, at the first annual ESPY Awards, Jim Valvano was awarded the inaugural Arthur Ashe Courage Award. Jimmy V's acceptance speech that night has now become legendary as a singularly moving testament to the strength and beauty of the human spirit. Our world lost that great man only two months later, but make no mistake, Jimmy V continues to inspire countless others even today. Through his generosity of spirit, he made us laugh and cry, and maybe most importantly, think. That very same year in 1993, a talented young journalist named Stuart Scott joined ESPN. Stuart would soon become one of the most recognizable and beloved Sports Center anchors ever, and forever changed the tone and language of sports broadcasting. But he didn't just add phrases like booyah and cooler than the other side of the pillow to the lexicon. He brought his wit, his attitude, and a lust for life all his own. In November 2007, sadly, Stewart was diagnosed with cancer. 
true to his form, Stuart shared his experiences fighting this disease with us while managing to do extraordinary things in the face of seemingly unsurmountable odds. Stuart's journey has been full of great challenges, but even greater has been the love from his family. And like the great man his award is named for, Stuart has never, ever given up. Ready, young man? Yeah. Uh, uh. Really? <laughs> it's Wednesday in Baltimore, Maryland. Doctor visits have become routine for Stuart Scott. But today is different. Today, he finds out if he qualifies for an experimental treatment, a trial he's already been rejected from twice before. But giving up has never been an option for Stuart. Since he was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer in 2007, he has refused to back down. First thought was, I'm going to die. And about probably five seconds later, I'm going to die and I'm going to leave Taylor and see. I don't want them to be without a dad. Cancer kills you. People die from cancer. And now we wait. Stewart would not allow the disease to dictate how he lived. And for seven years, he's continued to battle. He's a fighter, and when I say he's a fighter, he's mentally, physically, emotionally. He has a lot of things to fight for, and he has a lot of help in that fight. He's an inspiration to me. I have to feel as much as I can like I don't have cancer. Although, I think about cancer 20 times a day. But his true focus remains on the most important thing in his life, his family. Oh! Way to go, girl! One thing that Stuart may never really understand is the impact that he has had on people all around the world. There are a lot of people that see him as a beacon of light and something that they can relate to. I hear you're in a fight, too. Yes. I'm seven years in. Are you? Yep. Well... Do what you want to do, all right? Yep. Hang in there, brother. Thank you very much. Hang in there. We're talking about you, right? Are we going to be on television? We might be. You ought to tell me that. What's good? Sports Center Roland Stewart Scott here. We got more of us. I think what he does is all the things that, as his close friend, I want to say, stop doing. Stop working out so hard. Stop traveling so much. Why are you doing so many sports centers? But it's what keeps him going. So Stuart pushes on. That is how he wins. I hear from people every day. He's on TV and he's doing what he loves. They take strength from the fact that he has not been paralyzed by his illness and that he's decided to live life on his own terms. After being rushed to the hospital during the NBA Finals a year ago, Stuart vowed to make it back here. Thank you very much, and congratulations again to the now five-time champion, San Antonio Spurs. So this year, on Father's Day, Game 5 was about more than just a championship. It was about family. Instead of sending you home tomorrow, I get to go home with you tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Yay, Spurs. When people ask me, are you worried or are you scared? I've never really been really worried because he's always told me he's always had the most confidence ever and he's always told me that he's gonna get through it and that we're gonna get through it together 
she knows what I'm going through. And if I can work hard, it's not just being the best. It's working hard. It's her knowing that I'm that I'm working hard for this. I want her to take that with her. Back at Johns Hopkins, Stewart finally receives word about the clinical trial. Good enough. Everything okay. is a go. Yeah. So here we go. Clinical study. Thank you. You're welcome. I don't want you to leave before you hold my hand. Fighting is winning. Not quitting. Not saying, oh, I have cancer. Or I can't do anything. I'm just going to lay down and, and cry a pity party for myself. That, to me, is the only way you lose. Oh, won't you stay with me? Because you're all I need. I've been fighting it for seven years. So that sucks. You've had to deal with it for seven years. I've been fighting it for seven years. So that's good. Seven years, you've you've battled it. And if if losing the battle is passing away, then I guess I haven't lost the battle. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor to present the 2014 Jimmy V. Perseverance Award to Stuart Scott. Thank you. You know, tomorrow all my boys are going to be like, oh man, I saw you at the SVs with Peyton Manning, Money Mayweather, and KD. I'm going to be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Jack Bauer saved the world and he introduced me. <laughs> 24 is my favorite TV show of all time, so Keeper Sutherland, thank you very much. I am very honored. Every day I am reminded that our life's journey is really about the people who touch us. When I first heard that I was going to be honored with this reward, the very first thing that I did was I was speechless, briefly. I've presented this award before. I mean, I've watched in awe as Kay Yao and Eric Legrand and all these other great people grace this stage. And although intellectually I get it, I'm a public figure, I have a public job, I'm battling cancer, hopefully I'm inspiring. At my gut level, I really didn't think that I belonged with those great people. But I listened to what Jim Balvano said 21 years ago. The most poignant seven words ever uttered in any speech anywhere. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Those great people didn't. Coach Balvano didn't. So to be honored with this, I now have a responsibility to also not ever give up. I'm not special. I just listen to what the man said. I listen to all that he said, everything that he asked of us, and that's to build the V Foundation. 
And let me tell you, man, it works. I'm talking tangible benefits. You saw me in that clinical trial. Now, here's the thing about that. Coach Valvano's words 21 years ago, helping me and thousands of people like me right now, direct benefits. That's why all of this, why we're here tonight, that's why it's so important. I also realized something else recently. You heard me kind of allude to it in the piece. I said, I'm not losing. I'm still here, I'm fighting. I'm not losing. But I gotta amend that. When you die, that does not mean that you lose to cancer. You beat cancer by how you live, why you live, and in the manner in which you live. So live, live, fight like hell. And when you get too tired to fight, then lay down and rest and let somebody else fight for you. That's also very, very important. I can't do this don't give up thing all by myself. I got thousands of people on Twitter and on the streets who encourage me. I got these amazingly wonderful people at ESPN. I got corporate executives, my bosses, this is true, who will text message me. And they'll say, hey, I uh, heard you had chemotherapy today. You want me to stop by on the way home from work and pick you up something to eat and bring it to you? Seriously? Who does that? <laughs> Whose boss does that? My bosses do that. But even with all that, the fight is still much more difficult than I even realized. What you didn't see in the piece is what's gone on probably the last 10 days. I just got out of the hospital this past Friday. Seven days stay. Man, I crashed. I had liver complications. I had kidney failure. I had four surgeries in a span of seven days. I had tubes and wires running in and out of every part of my body. And guys, when I say every part of my body, every part of my body. As of Sunday, I didn't even know if I'd make it here. I couldn't fight. But doctors and nurses could. The people that I love, my friends and family, they could fight. My girlfriend, who slept on a very uncomfortable hospital cot by my side every night, she could fight. The people that I love did last week what they always do. They visited, they talked to me, they listened to me, they sat silent sometimes. They loved me. And that's another one of the components of the B Foundation. This whole fight, this journey thing is not a solo venture. This is something that requires support. I called my big sister Susan a few days ago. Why? I needed to cry. It was that simple. And I know that I can call her. I can call my other sister Cynthia, my brother Stephen, my mom and dad, and I can just cry. And those things are very important. I have one more necessity. Yeah, it's really two. Two very vibrant, intelligent, beautiful young ladies. The best thing I've ever done, the best thing I will ever do, is be a dad to Taylor and Sydney. It's true. I can't ever give up 
because I can't leave my daughters. Yes, sometimes I embarrass them. Sometimes they think I'm a tyrant. That's a direct quote. There is an adjective that describes tyrant too, but I'm not going to go there. Taylor and Sydney, I love you guys more than I will ever be able to express. You two are my heartbeat. I am standing on this stage here tonight because of you. My oldest daughter, Taylor, I wanted her to be here, but college sophomore, summer school, second semester, starting this week. Baby girl, I love you, but you go do you. You go do that. My littlest angel is here, my 14-year-old. Sydney, come up here and give Dad a hug because I need one. I want to say thank you, ESPN. Thank you, ESPYs. Thank all of you. Have a great rest of your night and have a great rest of your life. And I'll take